This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Trying to add some juice before the playoffs is going with the new in-season tournament, which debuted last week. I like the concept. We're going to play these games anyway, so if it does work, then you have kind of a NCAA-style tournament, you know, in the first week of December, which I think I think is cool. I think it's interesting. Um, it's innovative, and there's no downside to it. Yo, yo, what's going on? Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast, where I've got a very different kind of conversation on deck for episode 288 this week, because this week I'm joined by the brains of the operation and the architect behind the Dallas Mavericks. My guest this week is Mavs President of Basketball Ops and GM, Nico Harrison. Nico was a longtime Nike marketing exec before he stepped into the Dallas front office, which means he has spent his career around the likes of Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and so many others. Now he is running one of the most interesting teams in the association, which means I've got a lot of ground to cover with him. So let's not waste time. Let's get after it. It's episode 288 with the president of Basketball Ops and the GM of the Dallas Mavericks, Nico Harrison, and it's coming at you right now. So, Nico, I really appreciate you stretching out a bit and making time for the podcast. My man, how you living? What's going on? Man, I'm doing good right now. Um, I, I had a great time the last time I was on your show, so I figured, uh, figured it was worth coming back on. I appreciate that very much, without question. So, I had a great time, too. So, let me ask you, we're in the early stages of a long NBA regular season, but so far, so good. What has stood out to you so far about the Mavericks? Well, I think the biggest thing, you know, you got to start at the top and, and Jay Kidd's been phenomenal. He's really been coaching the stars. And then if you, you know, go up here down, Luca and Kyrie have had a training camp together. Um, and so I just think, you know, it starts with those two. When those two are, are working together and on the same page, it's just going to translate. Nico, I thought you had a great, great line. Uh, after Kyrie arrived, you had said about Kyrie and Luca, quote, I think you have a Ferrari and a monster truck, both amazing and awesome machines, but different styles, which make a super dynamic, end of quote. So what's it been like to have that exotic rig and that monster truck? And what do they seem like when they roll together? I think it's honestly, I think it's great because we can play so many different styles of basketball. And, you know, as much as they play together, they also play apart and when they play apart it just gives you just a, a dynamic look and you know if you're a defense you have to prepare for for so many different options and then you know to close the game to have those two guys on the court both big time closers it just it just helps us out you know i'm gonna go back to those guys in a minute but you mentioned jason kidd i want to ask you like if an organization is going to have success obviously it stands to reason the gm and the head coach have got to see eye to eye on most things certainly the most important things you and jason kidd were hired at the same time in the summer of 21 so what's that working relationship been like with him and then what's the hall of famer brought to the franchise on the bench after he had been such a great player there previously 
So first, I mean, working with them has been great. Um, the thing about Jason and I, like we've known each other forever, but we haven't, you know, I, I was kind of in service of him uh, and then us working together. But I think we're both basketball people and we want, we want what's best for the team and for each other. Um, and I think we're really forming a good partnership and that takes time, you know, um, when you work with someone in a different, in a different light, and then now you're under the pressure of trying to win and, you know, make decisions. Um, it, it takes time, but when you form a partnership, then I think it, it allows you to disagree on small things, but agree on the big things and then, you know, continue to move forward. And that's, that's what we're forming. And, and I think when you have leadership aligned, then it just it's a trickle down effect. So Nico, for instance, like Jason Kidd, I can remember watching him in college ball, and the guy was just he was unbelievable, right? I mean, the guy saw things that nobody else could see. He could process things in a way that nobody else could process. Generally, when you have a guy like that, and you never want to generalize, but like, do great great players in your mind generally make great coaches, or how do you see it with him in that regard? Because he was so awesome. Yeah, I you know what the. Th- thing is he he has a crystal ball it's funny he predicts what's going to happen before it does and he's almost always right um i think he's i do think that great players it's challenging for them to be great coaches in general um because they were so great and the chances of players being as good as they were is tough but i think that jake kid's very very humble um if you spend time around him he's he's extremely humble and patient and so i think he uh he just has the ability to, to take guys, you know, for who they are and just appreciate who they are and not try to make them what they're not. And I think that's that's his gift. So, Nico, you played seven years of uh, professional ball in places ranging from Belgium to Japan. Take me back, man. How were you as a player? How would you grade yourself? Well, I always tell everybody that every year it go, that goes away, I'm better uh, <laughs> than I was. Um, but I was cool. I was a good player. I obviously wasn't good enough to play in the NBA, but I was solid. I could defend. I could play multiple positions. But, you know, clearly I wasn't good enough to play in the league. But it was still I was still good enough to, you know, make some money and play overseas. And, and when you love the sport, to be able to do that is, is just great. Yeah, man, that's great, right? Like if you make some money and see the world, that's outstanding. Now, you hear stories, though, right? You hear stories. Like where was the craziest place you played or the craziest thing you experienced overseas? Uh, one, I'll tell you the craziest thing, playing in Belgium, uh, we had a cup game and we played on a sports court and it was the slipperiest court ever. And I just told our GM, I was like, I'm not playing. You guys can find me, but this court is crazy. I'm not playing. And what did they say? What did you, did you not play? No, I, I refused to play. I mean, we were literally slipping all over the place. It made no sense. Huh. So... I, I'm just going to take a shot here. When were you in Japan, and what was that like? Uh, Japan, I played there from 98 to 2000. Japan was great. Uh, Japan actually was probably one of my one of my favorite stops. Uh, the people were amazing. The food was awesome. Um, I had great teammates. The league was really good. I had a lot of a lot of ex NBA stars, a lot of like big time college players, a lot of guys that played in the CBA. So. Japan was really good. Um, I probably was a little bit uh, – it, it's one of those places that's good to retire there, but probably not good as you're still building your career. How so? What do you mean by that? That's interesting. Because in the European, in the European League, 
they don't respect they didn't respect at the time now japan league is way different than uh now but they didn't respect the japanese league so going over there was kind of like you were absent for two years so then after that if you want to go back to europe they're like well you haven't played for two years so you have to start you know from the bottom like yeah i'm not doing that huh so I, I know a guy who actually that I used to know that went there. You didn't cross paths with former UC Santa Barbara great Eric MacArthur in Japan, did you? Never, never. I know who he is, though. Yeah, he he had actually a really nice career. He played with Brian Shaw, and he went to Japan. He loved it. He was there a long, long time. So I thought maybe. So it's all really interesting. Like, over the summer— NBA social media lit up when Lucas showed off his guns after saying that he was going to hammer on his conditioning while back home. Did you have a little chat with him or did the big dude take it upon himself to put in that extra work? No, that's, that was a hundred percent Luca. I think he really, um, he really just wanted to focus on being the best he could be and start, it started off with being in great shape. And so he really, Took it upon himself. He he's been spending a lot of money. He has a he has a body team that uh, that works on his body, and it's it's you know you see you see what he looks like. It's working. Hey, listen, I mean, we know that LeBron's done that, and we know how much money he's put into his body, and we know what he's doing at his age. But what's it say about Luca? Like he was already world class. He was already averaging nearly a triple double last season, and then the fact that he would spend the money and the time when somebody would say, "Yeah, you know, it ain't broke. Why fix it?" What's it say about him that he's willing to do so? It just shows that Luca wants to win. You know, he's he's willing to do anything to win, and that's and that's why he's he's as good as he is and why he'll go down as being one of the greats. Nico, what about that? Like, for instance, I feel like we're in the era of, like, the unicorn in the NBA, right? Like, we've never seen anybody quite like Giannis. We've never seen anybody quite like the Joker. I think you can include Luka in that category. In fact, have you ever seen anybody, who would you compare him to in terms of skills and his skill set? I don't have a clue. I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't think that we've ever, We've ever seen anybody like him. I don't know that you would even envision a player that plays like him because um, it's so unorthodox, but it's so effective, and he's he's just so talented. Hey, now, Jim Rome here. Let me talk to you for a moment about one of my all-time favorite products, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store. Count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. This is why it is America's number one meal kit. And the holidays are right around the corner, and HelloFresh can help take the stress out of dinner by delivering everything you need to cook up tasty meals right to your door, saving you a ton of time. What I'm saying is this, HelloFresh is so much more than just delicious dinners. HelloFresh can help take the hassle out of every mealtime occasion with easy breakfast, quick lunches, and snacks all delivered along with your weekly box. That's why I love it, for all of those reasons. So what you want to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash RoamFree and use the code RoamFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's a free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash RoamFree, but you have to use the code RoamFree. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. 
So, and then you've got Kyrie, right? So Kyrie is kind of a unique dude. And I guess at times there could be, you know, plenty that comes along with that. I'm curious, how did you approach acquiring him? What kind of due diligence did you do before you made that deal? Well, I worked with Kyrie, so I've known him since high school. Uh, and obviously when he was at Nike, uh, worked with him and on his business. So I knew who he was. I knew the, the type of person that he is. I, I, I also uh, knew how much he put into his craft and basketball and how passionate he was in terms of being great. So I, I had, all, to me, I felt like I had all the knowledge. I didn't really need to dive into it much. Hmm. You know, you mentioned your time at Nike. You spent actually nearly two decades at Nike, and every coach in every sport, Nico, that I've ever spoken to talks about culture. Nike has a world-renowned business culture. How would you describe the Nike way, and then how did that prepare you for the gig you have right now? Um, I think the biggest thing about Nike is it starts with uh, listen to the voice of the athlete. Um, and I think that that informs everything Nike did from product to the services uh, to how they also treated their athletes. And so I think if you start with that as a foundation, um, which is, you know, how, how I grew up in the business world and then trying to transfer that over to, to doing it with the Mavericks. Hmm. I feel like, Extremely fortunate to have gotten to know Kobe Bryant a little bit. And, you know, he used to live around here, and I spent some time with him. But you had a deep relationship with Kobe. You knew him on many different levels. What, like from a professional standpoint, first business, what was it like to work with Kobe when you were at Nike? Like how meticulous and demanding was he? Uh, he, was, he was as meticulous and demanding as you would expect him to be, someone who puts all that time and effort into doing what he does on the court and he expected that for his partners in partnership and that's actually why we kind of clicked because i mean he makes you better because if you're in a meeting with him he's going to ask you a million questions and if you don't have the answers that's acceptable but you better go find them um and you better not come to the meeting you know half ass because he he sees through everything like he'd call you on your shit right like don't waste my time because you know he's putting the time 100 percent so, like, but it was more than a business relationship, right? You and Kobe were tight personally, and you logged thousands of miles together traveling the world. Like, what were some of the trips that you took that resonate with you that you think about even to this day when you think about him? Yeah, probably uh, World Cup in Brazil, the World Cup in South Africa. Um, you know, we would go to China at least once a summer for 15 straight years. But I, I think the World Cup, in South America and the World Cup in Brazil are two trips that I always have like fond memories of because it, it was work related, but it was also it wasn't really work related. Like we, it was almost like being on vacation together. I was gonna say, does he? Would he like? I mean, did he turn off? For instance, my relationship with Kobe was like this because, you know, I live in Irvine. He was in Newport Beach, and a few times a year, I would just be working at night in my office, and then I'd get the text, "Yo, fam." meet me at hobbies and I would just drop everything. Like, and I'd go to Javier's and, you know, he'd be really present and he'd have maybe one jello shot, maybe. And then it was off to the gym. Like he was always, he was focused and you'd have his attention, but he had something to do. I'm curious, like when you guys took those trips, would he turn off or was he always kind of locked in? Uh, interesting. I, you know what? First of all, he's always locked in because he has a goal in mind and everything kind of, goes to the goal. But I do think that he would, you know, he would 
turn I, I guess turn off you could say but never to the he wouldn't do it and sacrifice the goal if that makes sense yeah no it does absolutely like he it had to be in it was it had to be like in alignment right he was always exactly it had to be congruent exactly. with what he was doing i get that so finally let me just ask you about him like there are so many layers to kobe on and off the floor when you think back about him what do you admire most about him how would you sum him up as a person because you knew him well i don't even know i mean i don't even think you can sum him up because uh, he's so deep one i would just think meticulous you know everything he did had a had a purpose he just didn't uh, here's an I'll give an example and you know I think the last time I when we talked about Kobe I didn't really even talk about it. I think as the time is gone I feel a little more comfortable well here's an example of what I'll say about Kobe and this doesn't really sum him up but I think it, it's a deep insight to him when you when Kobe goes to work out and play basketball most basketball players will go they might take a couple shots you know messing around uh when he steps on the court it's it's like a hundred percent business. And I used to sit back and watch him work out. And part, part of me thinks he didn't even enjoy it because it's all business. Uh, and he, you know, as soon as he steps on the court, he just completely, completely turns on um, and it's work. And then when he's done and then he can go back to smiling and joking around, talking junk, but he's just so, he's so focused. And I always tell him like, you don't even have fun doing that. Do you? Um, but but he actually did have fun for him. That was fun. I, I think that's tremendous insight, and I fully appreciate what you're saying. That when you and I last spoke, that maybe you weren't as comfortable sharing that kind of insight. That that's really interesting. I mean, you're right. I think to him that was fun. That that's he was so intentional and and just so passionate, man, and wanted it so badly. And I think wired like that. That that to him was fun. Now that's that whole thing about when you say to people. Hey, man, why don't you smile more? Why don't you smile more? You're not happy. Like, yes, I am. I just don't always smile. Like, people have a different way of showing it, right? Hey, now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You know, I'm, I'm just jumping around here, Nico, because I think your background is so, so interesting. I love that you played your college ball, for those who don't know, in the last three years at Montana State, because we had a house in Big Sky. I love, love, love Montana. I love that state. I'm curious, Bozeman, man, Bozeman is awesome. Did you like going to school and hooping there? What was that like? Yeah, well... So I went to West Point my first year of college. Yep. Playing at West Point, we were like four and twenty-six, and that was it was miserable. Like the school was tough and regimented and crazy, but then when you walked up to the building and you getting your butts kicked every day, that was crazy. And as a freshman, I was our leading scorer, but it, it just wasn't fun losing all the time. And uh, then you you know, fast forward, you go to Montana State. 
and it's like a big fish in a little pond. Like the whole student, you know, the student section filled out every game. They got there before we arrived. Um, you know, everybody in the city was kind of there to support the the school. And so it was it was you know for for a small school, mid major, whatever they call them now. Um, it was like being a big fish in a little pond. So it was it was a great experience. Dude, it's a bitch in town too, man. Right? Really cool, eclectic town. Yeah, it is, and and it's actually grown since I, you know, it's been twenty five years or so since I've been there. It's grown a lot. Yeah, dude, forgive my language, but we'd go there in the in the winter time. I'm a California native. Cold as fuck, yo, dude. Montana would get really cold. What was that like? It was miserable. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't like the cold at all. Um, I didn't have the proper gear. I didn't have enough money to have the proper gear, so I would just put on like 10 sweatsuits <laughs> right and, and walk to class now dude we were, like we were exactly i see you i i get that because we would go in the summertime and everybody's like oh man best skiing ever best skiing ever it probably was but we weren't big skiers i loved it in the summertime but man it got cold cold in the winter listen before you go how about a couple of thoughts about what's going on so far like the league and again i'm jumping around but the league Trying to add some juice before the playoffs is going with the new in-season tournament, which debuted last week. What do you think of the concept, and then what kind of feedback have you gotten from your players on that? So I, I like the concept. You know, trying to shine a light on basketball in November, which is, you know, we all know is dominated by the NFL. I think the idea is great. Uh, we're going to play these games anyway, so if – Let's just say it didn't work. It, it's not we're not losing anything. But if it does work, um, then you have kind of a you have like a, a NCAA style tournament, you know, in the first week of December, which I think I think is cool. I think it's interesting. Um, it's innovative, and there's no downside to it. Like I, I don't see any downside. I don't know that the that all the players actually get it just yet um, because they're just playing games like. They normally do, but I think once once it comes down to the quarterfinals, the top four in the West versus the top four in the East, and they're all in one location, I think you're going to fill it then. Uh, and then, you know, they, they have prize money involved. And then I really think that if it's done well and, and you're going to – and it will be, I think it's going to be uh, something that you'll be able to package. Hmm. So, Nico, what about – you know, we talked about unicorns, even among owners. I mean, owners are unicorns onto themselves, but you work for one of one in Mark Cuban. Like, I've known Cubes a little bit for a long time, but he's a star in his own right due to Shark Tank. And, man, you know how passionate he is about hoops. What's it like to work for somebody who's that sharp, that aggressive, that inquisitive, and who's got that level of energy? Um, honestly, so I worked for Lynn Merritt, which – uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was my boss at Nike. Um, but between Lynn Merritt and Kobe Bryant, he's like kind of right in, in between. So I felt like I've been, I've been groomed for it. He's, he's a guy that's always on. Uh, he's, you know, like you said, he's super inquisitive. He's also knowledgeable as well. So you can't, you can't BS him because he knows his stuff. <laughs> um, he spends a lot of time watching film, watching the game. So, so he is he is super knowledgeable. So you have to be on. You have to be, you know, you can't you can't you can't half step because he's he knows too much. 
you know, it's funny you say that. I was going to ask you, like, what kind of marks do you give him for basketball acumen? Like, like he knows his shit for an owner or like he really knows the game and he can sit and chop it up with you and the coaching staff. Does he know the game like that? Uh, that's a trick question. You trying to get me fired? <laughs> nah, dude. Nah, dude. No, nah, I need access to you, man. I don't want to get you fired. <laughs> no, nah, I'm joking. No, he, he does. He does know the game. Um, you know, obviously, like a guy like Jason Kidd is going to have more knowledge than him, but he definitely knows the game. And, and, I, and I feel like this, anybody that watches the game and studies the game, they can learn it. I mean, you look at a lot of these coaches who are coaching in the NBA that didn't play basketball, but they studied it and studied it. And if you talk to them, you're going to say, wow, that guy's smart. He really knows the game. I think Cube knows the games. Like, I mean, he still plays pickup basketball, <laughs> you know, at his age. Like he, he loves basketball and he spent a lot of, a lot of time into it. So he, he definitely knows the game. Oh, dude, he loves, he loves the game. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved for only a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everybody feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Let me finally ask you this about him. It seems to me like owners, like I tell me I'm wrong, but I don't think every owner in every sport necessarily wants to win it all because man, it costs, it costs to win it all. You have to make a commitment to win it all. I don't think anybody would ever, ever question Mark Cuban's commitment, man. He's in it to win it, but he's not the only ultra competitive owner, especially in the West. Like when you look at the West this year, how would you say the power of balance shakes out and how tough and how rugged is that conference now? The West is, it's, I mean, there's no days off. And, and I really do believe when, when it comes down to April 13th or 15th, whenever the last game is, you know, the separation between hosting a home court playoff game and, and making the plan is going to be like four games. Like it's, it's going to be really jumbled up. Um, it's, it's just the teams are just loaded top to bottom. It's going to be amazing, and that's the great thing. It's just a matter of getting through that long NBA regular season. So final thought, I'm going to walk you off on this, and I appreciate the time. What about the participation rules now? Like, how have you guys approached load management up until now, and then how are you going to approach it now with the new rules? Uh, load management to me is, is uh, I don't know. It's, you know, let's put it like this. Our coach, Jason Kidd, if you look, back and i actually haven't looked but i guarantee you between him between michael finley i guarantee you they have probably five years between the two of them of playing 82 games and then they probably have another five years between the two of them of playing at least 80 games so the load management stuff is is a lot to do about nothing to me um i i don't i do think there's times where guys are injured and they need they need obviously to take care of themselves uh, but I, I'm not worried about load, man, load management. I think it's just really, you know, how do you – are you practicing for the games? Practices should be harder than the games. And then, you know, back-to-backs are tough. But what's really tough is when you play three games in four days. That's 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 really kind of the, the toughness. But, again, if you look back to guys who've been all-stars in the 90s and the 2000s when, when you know, they didn't have as much technology and – massage therapist and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. these guys are playing 80 plus games 
Jay Kidd, he, I just looked it up, he played 80-plus games 10 times. I talked to Rick Carlisle the other day. He told me that even Larry Bird didn't even want to miss exhibition games. Like, he felt it was his responsibility to play in exhibition games. And then finally, you mentioned Finn. Man, Michael Finley, when he was right, when he was on, when he was at the peak of his powers, how dominant was he? Yeah, I mean, big-time big player, um, huge care factor, awesome teammate. Uh, those are all things you're gonna you're gonna hear about him. G- great dude. Over and I love I love working with him. He's been amazing. I love that line you just used. Huge care factor. I've never heard that before. Do you factor that in? How 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 important is that to you when you're looking at players? The care factor. I think it's everything. Right now, if if you look at kind of the league, like we want guys who love to hoop, um, because that's just gonna make it easy. Because in the middle of the year, you're not gonna want to go to practice. If you love to hoop, it's going to make it easier to come to practice. Guys that want to be in the gym want to get better. That's that's where all the camaraderie is built. And and those guys are going to stay after practice and get more shots up and joke around with each other. So we we look at that like that's huge. We really want guys that that uh and the care like the care about winning and losing. Like that's 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 everything. Well, Nico, like I said, that was a big ask. It's one thing for you to come on The Daily Show and chop it up with me for seven or eight minutes, but to stretch out like that for the podcast, that was a big ask on my part. So I really appreciate you, really appreciate the conversation. That was an absolute blast, man. Thank you so much for that. Thanks, man. Enjoyed it as always. So how bright and how different is this dude? He's played overseas, he's been a high-powered marketing executive, and now he's one of the most influential front office execs in the NBA. He has already lived a full basketball life, and clearly, he's got much better things ahead of him. So, my thanks to Nico for stretching out and making time to chop it up in season on the original side hustle. If you're looking for more conversations like that one, great news. We already have over 280 ready and waiting for a spin. Throw any of them on, they all hold up. Or, if you want you can look forward to the next brand new episode because we pump one out every single week so consider finding and smashing that subscribe button that way you will know every single time a new episode does drop and i will see you right back here next week for episode 289 see you then